Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the Weekly Wrap Podcast. My name is Sandira Chetty and I'm here to tell you what you can expect from the latest Farmers Weekly magazine, the 5th February 2021 issue. I will also discuss some of the top news from the farming and agribusiness sectors. On the cover this week, we feature a beautiful flock of sheep and the focus of this cover story is how to manage reproduction in sheep and the key factors farmers should consider. Some of the other features on the cover include how a lychee farmer has managed to stay in the game and run a successful business. We find out the practicalities of running an efficient and profitable dairy herd. And last but not least, a researcher discusses cactus pear production and what you should know before planting this crop. Let's take a look at the main cover story now. The Basics of Managing Reproduction in Sheep Independent agricultural consultant Dr. Louis Dupassani says that profitability in sheep farming depends primarily on the productivity of the breeding ewes. He discusses key factors that determine the reproduction and productivity rate of a flock of sheep and how to exploit these to the full. Reproduction success is expressed in a number of ways, including pregnancy rate and lambing percentage. However, the best measure is U productivity, where the kilograms of lamb produced by the breeding herd is expressed in terms of the total live weight of the flock. Dr. Pisani emphasizes that a farmer should make U productivity their priority. In business, the goal should therefore always be to identify those inputs that are potentially the most productive and prioritize them. Considering that 75% of a sheep's enterprise's profitability can be directly linked to ewe productivity, it makes sense for sheep producers to prioritize the management factors that affect ewe productivity the most. One of the basic non-negotiable management principles is to monitor the flock's body condition score, the BCS, at certain critical stages. It is best practice to get the ewes in a growing condition before mating, starting at least three weeks before mating commences. Rams should be at optimal body condition at the onset of mating, not over or underweight, physically fit, healthy and free of venereal diseases, tested for fertility, viral, and with a good libido and serving capacity to ensure maximum coverage of the ewes. According to Dr. Pisani, lamb survival is critical for achieving good ewe production and is closely correlated with the ewe's BCS at lambing and the lamb's birth weight. The emphasis of this article is on nutrition and the importance of achieving target BCSs during critical phases of the reproduction cycle. But all of this will come to nothing if the ewe flock does not have the innate ability to respond to this and is unable to conceive easily, complete pregnancy, give birth easily to viable lambs and rear lambs as well. Did you know that lychees are difficult to produce profitably? However, Mpumalanga lychee farmer Peter Lis has done well with them thanks to meticulous pruning, irrigation and fertilization. In this issue, he explains how he balances the pros and cons of growing this challenging crop. Lis runs a 10-hectare, 18-year-old Mauritius lychee farm in Hazy View in Pumalanga. He says that lychee trees remain productive for 50 years, depending on how well they are looked after. So he pays close attention to this aspect, in particular, maintaining a robust pruning regime. Since lychee trees produce fruit, only on new branches, they have to be pruned both for production and to keep them at an optimal size. The trees must be maintained in an umbrella shape, with light able to penetrate the middle of the tree, explains Luis. Lychee trees grow very quickly, 
and windows for sunlight must be cut regularly to ensure that the tree doesn't die off on the inside. Pruning needs to take place as soon as possible, he explains. Now, every three or four years, they do a drastic prune using electric cutters to get the trees back to a manageable size. The yield takes a bit of a knock that year, he says, but it's better in the long run as the tree then has the right shape and can be hand pruned thereafter. Lis says that getting the fertilizer program right and timing the applications correctly make all the difference to the yield. Some nutrients are especially time sensitive. Lis also admits he has a dislike of bare soil and has planted grass between the rows of lychee trees. He says it aids moisture retention and soil conservation. The soil in the orchids varies but consists mainly of sand and sandy loam. Some farmers believe in limiting water and certain times to put the tree under stress and hence induce flowering. He says he doesn't follow this practice as he prefers applying water throughout. Lis says that lychee honey has always been in high demand but now the macadamia farmers are paying for pollination services the companies have indicated that they will start charging in future too. Another challenge of lychees is that the harvest must be started and completed within a four-week December-January period. The market is effectively flooded for a short time and prices are low. Prices also depend on how much volume Kumatipur's lychee producers send to the market and when. He says that they can't compete with them. Lis says that most of his lychees are sold to local hawkers and private buyers from KwaZulu-Natal as prices are higher. Unfortunately, the value of the lychees is still high enough to keep thieves active. When the fruit starts ripening, Lis employs security to patrol the orchids at night. Despite these challenges, input costs are a fraction of those of avocado and macadamia production. Lychees are said to be alternate bearing, but Lis has found that with careful management, a more evenly balanced yield can be obtained from year to year. The next feature we'll look at is planting cactus pear and the important factors farmers need to consider before establishing this crop. Cactus pears are amongst the world's most versatile plant species, with almost every part of the plant having some commercial value. In SA, unfortunately, the spiny varieties were introduced in the 1770s, and by the mid-1800s, these had rendered vast tracts of the Karoo and Eastern Cape impenetrable. Cactus pear has also been declared a Category 1 plant, a weed, under the Conservation of Agricultural Resources Act of 1983, making it illegal to plant, cultivate or multiply these species, except for spineless varieties. South Africa's spineless cactus pear varieties are quite unique, says Dr. Herman Foshia, researcher at the Agricultural Research Council's Animal Production Institute at Bloemfontein and co-author of the production guide for Bone von Dorenlose, Turksweyer for Fuhr and Fruchtproduktion in the Hoefeld, which means producing spineless cactus pears for fodder and fruit on the Highfeld. Research in South Africa initially focused on the use of cactus pears, animal feeding during droughts, since 2001. The University of the Free State via the ARC has conducted research on the viability of cactus pear as a regular feed ingredient in semi-arid and arid regions. Research so far has established that cactus pear cladodes are high in energy but low in protein. The nutritional value of the plant depends on the cultivar, production conditions and the way in which the feed is processed and presented to the animals. 
Researchers also found that including cactus pain in the diet of cattle, goats and sheep has no effect on meat quality. It is, however, associated with meat manure, which can be mistaken for diarrhea. Dr. Fushir says that grazing of cactus pear is not advised as it usually leads to poor utilization of the material and damage to plants. Fushia touches on fruit production and says that it requires an even higher level of management and intervention than feed production. Now next we move on to a feature about an award-winning dairy farm Clipstaple in Gauteng, which has been in existence since 1983. According to farm owner Billy Hall, strict recording of and selection for commercially important traits lie behind the success of the operation. The dairy comprises of 1,316 registered Holstein animals and the milking parlor runs 24 hours a day with approximately 600 cows milked on a rotational basis. The dairy has won a number of awards for the quality of its milk. Much of the success is due to meticulous management by dairy manager Sean Spence, who says that he knows every one of the cows on the farm. Records are kept for each cow with the aim of improving overall efficiency of the herd. Individual milk samples are taken every month and analyzed for butterfat, protein, lactose and somatic cell count. Spence aims to maintain a somatic cell count of about 200,000 per milliliter milk, a butterfat content of 3,6% and a protein content of 3,2%. If the butterfat content is too high, fewer liters of milk will be produced. Now, this aspect has to be managed carefully as high volumes are the goal. Two separate computer programs are used to record the production details of each cow and the data is analyzed to make management decisions using information from these programs. He says that they can determine when to dry off a cow or whether it should be bred again. Animals are selected primarily for good udder and a relatively small frame and secondly for a long productive life, low somatic cell count, positive fat protein and a positive daughter pregnancy rate. The farm produces its own silage in several bunkers. These can store enough to feed the herd on the farm without the need to buy too much additional feed. According to Spence, they don't feed the cows any grasses or lucerne and rations are predominantly made up of silage. This results in better quality silage, which is evident in the higher butterfat content of the milk. All the cows are vaccinated against diseases such as Rift Valley fever, three-day sickness and lumpy skin disease. Farm owner Billy Hall says that when he started the dairy, he made the mistake of investing only in top genetics. He later realized that it would have been better to start with middle-of-the-road genetics. Now let's take a look at this week's top news stories. With the cancellation of holidays in December, consumers have been spending most of their money on food. According to Johnny van der Walt, Managing Director of AMT, when the beach closes were announced in December, demand for food increased. Last year, we saw that lockdowns result in higher food demand as people eat more at home. He also went on to say that with the closure of schools being extended to the 15th of February, money spent on new uniforms and stationery is also being used for food, which is preventing the usual drop in food prices that was expected this time of the year. He did mention there was cause for concern with the closing of the borders, which is preventing many hawkers from returning to South Africa. Now, this is resulting in weak demand for lower-grade produce, which as a whole affects the supply and demand curve. As produce heaps up on the market, it will start pulling prices down. Red meat demand has also remained strong due to the food-at-home effect of COVID-19. Herard Skutter, CEO of the Red Meats Producers Organization, said that beef and sheep meat prices 
had increased 21% and 23% respectively at the end of 2020, compared with prices for the corresponding period in 2019. He added that red meat exports had also picked up following the foot and mouth disease outbreaks in 2019 and that around 5% of beef production was being exported. Skitter said that the maize price was relatively stable and with the good harvest expected this year, there could be some feed price relief for producers with costs perhaps dropping slightly. In other news, carbon will soon be added to the list of farmers' commodities. Crop science company Bayer launched a pilot program in the U.S. and Brazil late last year that would see farmers being paid for capturing carbon in cropland soils. The company was seeking to enroll 1,200 row crop farmers in its Bayer Carbon Initiative in the first season, scale up in the upcoming seasons, and ultimately expand to other countries, including South Africa. But Peter Smith, head of marketing at Bayer Crop Science Africa, said that the viability of rolling out the project in South Africa was under evaluation. We need to line up a market for the carbon credits, which would include those with a heavy carbon footprint that are looking to neutralize their emissions. This way, carbon would be yet another income stream for farmers as it would be a tradable commodity. Now, also in this issue, make sure you turn to page 64 for a popular auction calendar. Livestock farmers will find this extremely useful. And before I wrap up, Farmers Weekly celebrates its 110th anniversary this year, and this is your chance to get involved and be featured in the Collector's Commemorative Edition. We are looking for former cover stars and couples who met and fell in love via the Hitching Post. We are also looking for South Africa's oldest farmers. If you are, or if you know of, a farmer who is older than 80 years and still farming, please get in touch. We would also like to speak to any farmers who were dispossessed of the land prior to 1994. Anyone who has a unique story to tell how Farmers Weekly crossed his or her path are also encouraged to get in touch. Closing date is 12 February 2021. And that's it for this week. Join us again next week when we tell you about the top stories from the 12 February issue. Also engage with us on our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn at Farmers Weekly Essay. You can also tag us on your farming photos. Until next week, stay safe and happy farming.